Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's August 2nd. 1943, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Having served in the military is a useful selling point for any American president, but it's rare to find a politician behaving quite as heroically as John F. Kennedy did today in history in 1943, when after his torpedo boat was exploded by a Japanese destroyer in the South Pacific, he swam more than three miles to the nearest island, towing along with him all the way an injured crewmate using his teeth. (laughs) Yeah, he'd been sailing through the Blackett Strait in the Solomon Islands one night on the PT-109, that was the craft, with 12 crew. They were on the hunt for Japanese destroyers when, as you mentioned, unfortunately, one spotted them. (laughs) And the destroyer just severed the ship in two. There was a New Yorker article by John Hersey that appeared the following year, and he describes the moment of impact thusly. He says, uh, Kennedy found himself on his back on the deck looking up at the destroyer as it passed through his boat. Yeah, archive reports from the JFK Library in Boston describe the night as having an inky blackness, which meant that both the task of spotting the enemy ships was really difficult, let alone seeing them approaching you at ramming speed and like making into your boat and taking you out. And that's exactly what happened. And suddenly they were all in the water. John F. Kennedy was only 26 years old. He was a really, really good swimmer, but some of the people on his boat couldn't swim at all. Yeah, he was a competitive swimmer in school and at Harvard, and he had led 30 successful missions. Um, before this day. But nonetheless, as you say, still just 26. Faced with this sudden explosion, and by the way, two of his crew members died Mm. on impact, and then suddenly there are 10 of them left grabbing onto floating pieces of wreckage, stranded in the open ocean. And just imagine that scene as well, by the way, after a boat has been bombed. It's not just that you're in the ocean and you don't know where you are. You're in the ocean, you don't know where you are, and you're breathing in toxic fumes. Mm. Some of them have been burned as well by the fuel exploding around them and you've got your dead comrades there too. Yeah, the fireball that erupted on impact was so huge that two other torpedo boats nearby didn't actually come and search for survivors. They assumed that they'd all been killed. They returned to their base and they even held memorial services for the crew. You know, meanwhile, the survivors were actually bobbing in the water, you know, calling out to each other, trying to regroup around the bow of the ship, which actually remained afloat. So they did finally manage to get everyone up on there, including McMahon. He was the the fellow that had to be towed. He was really badly injured because he was the engineer. He'd been in the engine room, so he'd really borne the brunt of the explosion and was extremely badly burnt. Yeah, trying to construct a mental image of what it would have looked like in the immediate aftermath of this impact is pretty difficult. You know, it just must have been a scene of total chaos. But through it, Kennedy really showed both heroism and a kind of MacGyver-like capacity to improvise because the crewmate who he towed to safety, McMahon, he had actually grabbed the strap of his life jacket, put it between his teeth and then begun swimming. So it's like this act of astonishing calm under pressure, but also great strength to be able to not just get yourself to safety, but also another crewmate. 
And that's a three-mile journey that he swam with him on uh, to the nearest island. But that island, as it turned out, and they did get everyone there, was not sufficient for them to survive. So after two days, they started looking for another one. And then taking to the water again has its own risk. Every time you take to the water, Mm. there are Japanese patrols, there are secret outposts that could be anywhere, there could be hostile natives there too. And so he's making a calculated decision, having just seen these people die, (laughs) commanding all these people to the island, Mm. then thinking... Right, I haven't eaten and drunk anything for two days, but we're going to have to do something. I'm going to go back into the water again. Yeah, I mean, there were sharks, there were barracudas. And as you mentioned, Japanese patrols. You know, this wasn't a desert island. This wasn't a remote island. The the seas were crawling with American and Japanese ships. So it was extremely risky to even be seen. They spent a lot of their time hiding in the undergrowth when they were in the island. They weren't sunning themselves, you know, drinking coconut milk. But keeping in mind what he had just done, that three-mile swim with McMahon on his back, it's remarkable that after a pretty brief recce of the island, which told him that you know it wasn't going to be enough to sustain them, all there was in terms of food was unripe coconuts high up in the trees and they were too exhausted to climb up to them he set out again you know kennedy swam an hour and a half into a strait called ferguson passage which he knew was used by u.s patrol boats he waited and waited on the coral reef and he couldn't find anything and then he started to swim back and this was nightmarish as he was approaching the original island they'd landed on plum pudding island now called kennedy island there was this change in the current which made it impossible for him to reach the shore you know he could see it he could see his shipmates on there and instead he just kind of gave up he was so exhausted he just let himself drift he drifted for hours and hours through the night and due to another quirk of the currents when he finally kind of came to at daybreak he found himself back at Ferguson Passage back in the strait where he'd started he had to swim back again to reach his shipmates oh, man. and apparently he crawled up the beach vomiting looked up at his ensign George Ross and said Ross you try it tonight and then passed out <laughs> it is amazing I don't know how he was doing the sorts of things he was doing or making these kinds of executive decisions on behalf of not just himself but his entire crew as he had to do because they all calculated together that the the prospect of rescue was looking increasingly remote and their food was pretty much completely out except for these unripe coconuts and so they had to they just had to get back in the water and so all of the survivors took to the oceans again and they swam for a larger island that was further to the south and this was probably the decision that saved the men's lives ultimately and led to their eventual rescue yeah because there were ripe coconuts there from which they were able to survive for six days and meantime uh, kennedy spots a pair of native solomon islanders in a canoe uh, Biyuku Gasa and Ironi kumana and sort of flags them down which as i said is a risk in itself but they were amenable to helping the allies And it was Gasser, apparently, who showed Kennedy how to carve a message into a coconut husk, indicating how many crewmen were alive. I mean, this moment became kind of iconic for Kennedy later when he was uh, campaigning to be president, but it wasn't his idea to carve a message into a coconut. That's the kind of thing, when you think about it, that would only occur to a a native islander. Mm. But it was Kennedy who then scratched in the message onto the coconut, which said... Narrow ISL, commander, native nose, pose it, he can pilot, 11 alive, needs small boat, Kennedy. What's really funny is that the coconut shell became this iconic symbol of the whole affair, but 
they actually sent a pencil note as well. Did they? Was, yeah. yeah, they had a pencil and piece of paper and the note was written by Ensign Leonard Tom and it contained far more details. It was much more useful <laughs> okay. to the recipient. Makes but, sense. I, but Gaza suggested a coconut too because obviously paper can get wet, mm-hmm. especially if you're on a boat taking it across the ocean that's highly contested. So, you know, the coconut shell was a good durable option, but kind of a, you know, a bit unfair to Ensign Tom who actually wrote the most useful note. <laughs> well, Kumana and Gaza then took the coconut, got into their small dugout canoe. Their destination was another island 35 miles away and that's where an allied Australian coast watcher was stationed. But to get there they had oh, to... Oh, it's always got to involve the Australians you when you tell it, hasn't it? it? <laughs> you want to know why JFK got where The US Navy was stationed there too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, the Australians were the people who they actually reached and they... But to get there they had to paddle through waters that were patrolled again by Japanese ships. And the Japanese went notorious for using locals basically as target practice. They're just line up their guns and try and get their sights in order. Eventually, you know, when they finally made it back to the US naval base, the commander, Commander Warfield, didn't actually believe them. Um, probably, I think we can fairly assume, racism in action, mm. wasn't particularly keen to launch a mission deep into this contested territory based on the words of two Pacific Islanders. And it took a radio call from the Australian coast watcher, Roy Evans, to actually propel him into action. And even then... There was no real way of verifying that these guys were still alive. And of course, you are potentially, for all the dangers that we've outlined, sacrificing the rescue boat Mm. as well. So who do you choose? Um, And William F. Liebenau, who was the captain who eventually did, spoiler, rescue them, um, (laughs) used to say that it was because his crew was, quote, the most expendable that he was chosen for the mission. I mean, there was quite a lot of self-deprecating humour going around throughout this whole business because Kennedy, who was obviously later hailed a hero for his efforts involved in saving the lives of his crew, he ended up being awarded a Purple Heart for his troubles. He was often called a war hero in those terms directly and people would ask him how it was that he became to be such a hero and he'd tend to reply, it was involuntary, they sank my boat, which I think is a really nice sort of undercutting of the pomp that you could get out of having being involved in something like this. Well, an undercutting of the pomp of Richard Nixon's presidential campaign, I suspect. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. You know, he used to say that in 1960 on the campaign trail and his opponent had a lengthy military record as well and was using that on the stump too. So Kennedy, it benefited him as the Democrat to kind of undercut it, but also say, oh yeah, well, I I am a war hero, but I don't like to mention it. (laughs) I mean, while the whole incident did have its positives for him later in life, it also had really significant negatives, including a lasting physical impact. He already suffered from chronic back pain. That had been the reason that he was rejected when he tried to enter army officer training school right at the beginning of the war. He was only able to join the US Naval Reserve by pulling his family's many, many strings. And, but the problem became even worse directly as a result of the physical strain that he put himself through. I mean, he, when he was towing McMahon, McMahon was lying on his back mm. while he swam breaststroke. So uh, this really contributed to his eventual discharge from the military. And that then, of course, led directly to the prescription pill habit that we now know that he had while mm. serving in the White House. Yeah, four spine surgeries between 1944 and 1957. I mean, it's astonishing to think, because you think of JFK, Um, as being so kind of fit and healthy and young, because he died so young, um, and he was kind of athletic and poster boy president. But actually, in some senses, Kennedy was the least healthy president they've ever Mm, had. Yeah. 
Well, he never forgot Kumana and Gasa, who he actually invited to come to his inauguration. And get this for another bit of casual British colonial racism. The British officer in charge of delivering on this order to bring Kumana and Gasa to the inauguration were like, well, I'm afraid those two men don't speak English well enough. So instead, we'll just bring this other Solomon Islander scout to Washington, D.C. in their place. We'll just get an interchangeable person. Yeah, They'll sit them in the seat and who cares? (laughs) Well, and also just... You know, the arrogance that speaking English would be the quality that you'd look for most in the representative of a country rather than the two people that literally saved the life of the president. Right, yeah, who he <laughs> has asked specifically for that quality. To have there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was like, well, we weren't going to ask them to make a speech. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Just sit there and smile. Tomorrow. It's like drunk on their own influence at this point, but they had a couple of employees pose as like a husband and wife. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.